Today, we are initiating a two-day trial of the United States government for crimes it has committed against the black or African population of the United States. Today, we are initiating a two-day process which is remarkable and historic in its implication for the use of international law as a means of addressing the crimes against oppressed people who do not have the benefit of state power and the use of national and international courts which are traditionally only available to those groups who do possess state power. To withhold the right to justice and international legality to the powerless, oppressed African people in the United States would be to validate the most cynical concept that might makes right. It would give credence and validity to the awful concept of the right of the powerful to make and enforce international law. Such law as that is no law at all. It is accepted tyranny. Therefore, this World Tribunal must determine whether international morality might prevail in the interest of the powerless. This tribunal will determine whether, even in the absence of state power, the rights of the oppressed will be recognized as rights which may be respected in the form of applied international law. Uhuru, and welcome to Black Power Talks. I'm Soliana Bakel, your co-host for this episode. And I'm Dr. Matsumela Odom. Uhuru means freedom in Swahili, and freedom is on our minds 24-7. At the top of the show, you heard an excerpt of Chairman Omalia Shatela at the First World Tribunal on Reparations to African People held in Brooklyn, New York in November 1982. As African internationalists, we know that reparations are a revolutionary demand. Reparations are just an economic compensation due to African people for the theft of human and material resources, the present underpopulation and underdevelopment of Africa and her people, and the political servitude, material impoverishment, and cultural discontinuity and disintegration of African people throughout the world. In 1982, the African People's Socialist Party formed the African National Reparations Organization, ANRO. ANRO was a first mass organization created to forward the reparations struggle and make reparations a household topic. ANRO's research was wide and even garnered the support of people like Michael Jackson, who signed an ANRO certificate demanding reparations. ANRO held 12 successive reparations tribunals. The most recent tribunal was in 2003. The party in ANRO succeeded. The reparations struggle moved from being solely a legislative and legal conversation. The reparation struggle has been taken up by the masses of African people in the U.S. and other parts of the world. In the Caribbean, Antigua and Barbuda has demanded that Harvard University pay reparations. Harvard received land from the slave-trading royal family. As well, the stolen wealth of the royal family built the Harvard Law School. Also, reports have emerged that document the wealth accumulated by the family of Dr. Strange actor Benedict Cumberbatch from slave plantations in Barbados. Various colleges, cities, and states have responded to the surging reparations movement in the United States. Student-led reparations referendums have passed at Brown University in Rhode Island and Georgetown University in Washington, D.C. Asheville, North Carolina, and Evanston, Illinois have initiated civic reparations plans. In 2021, the California Reparations Task Force was formed. In 2022, the task force released a 500-page interim report that identified the basis for the reparations recommendations. Their final report is expected in spring 2023. In December 2022, the San Francisco African American Reparations Advisory Committee released its draft report, which, among other things, called for $5 million payments for certain portions of the city's African population. Still. Amidst these significant advances in the reparations struggle, reparations activists have been targeted by the United States government for their work. On July 29, 2022, the Uhuru movement was attacked by the U.S. government for their reparations work amidst slanderous claims that attribute the movement's 40-plus years of leadership in the struggle for reparations to, quote, malign Russian influence, unquote. 
W.E.B. Du Bois, Paul Robeson, and others suffered the same accusations in the past. The same city governments of St. Petersburg, Florida, and St. Louis, Missouri, that have made news in the past years for their support for reparations plans, also had their local police forces participate in these attacks against the Uhuru movement. African internationalists have taken the revolutionary perspective of reparations into the academic arena. On February 28, 2023, Dr. Matsumela and Bakri Olentunji, APSP Western Regional Representative, participated in the Reparations Now panel discussion organized by the San Francisco State University Africana Studies Department in the San Francisco Public Library. As well, in early March 2023, Dr. Matsumela participated in a panel discussion, Reparations, examining the necessity of reparations and efforts to heal a political genocide as part of the National Conference of Black Political Scientists 2023 annual meeting. Dr. Matsumela joined Dr. Tiffany Caesar of San Francisco State University and Dr. Martin Boston of Sacramento State University. Dr. Caesar is an expert on the history of Queen Mother Moore, a leader in the struggle for reparations and former ANRA member. Dr. Caesar organized the Reparations Now panel at the San Francisco Public Library. Dr. Boston recently coordinated public dialogue on the California Reparations Task Force report in Sacramento. Dr. Boston is a co-editor of the Third World Thematic Special Issue, The Movement Resonated Deep in My Soul, New Perspectives and Pathways to International Research of South African Social Movements, Past and Present. Dr. Matsumela and Dr. Caesar are contributors to this special volume. Dr. Matsumela opened the panel by grounding the discussion in an African internationalist definition of reparations. Yeah, I'm, you know, I really appreciate this uh, panel. I appreciate the opportunity for us to come together to speak about uh, reparations, which, of course, um, has become a common uh, household word now within the last few years, especially since the uh, murder of George Floyd, May 25th, uh, uh, 2020. May 25th, 2020 is a remarkable day in the sense that that is also known as African Liberation Day. But when we celebrate African Liberation Day and the political activities that I have uh, off campus, we say uh, not yet uh, Uhuru, meaning that we're celebrating African Liberation Day, but understanding that African liberation has not come because Africans are not free. And we have so many things uh, dividing us, including the borders that have been codified by groups like the Organization of African Unity, now called the African Union, uh, and other systems and ideas and things like that that divide African people. A reparations is one which I define it is, um, you know, just economic compensation for past wrongs given to different aggrieved uh, populations and stuff like that. Of course, reparations can take uh, different forms, not simply financial, but I do think that the financial uh, is an important conversation to be had around reparations because it's a recognition of the colonial relationship between African people and um, uh, the system, understanding that uh, what gave birth to the wealth and even the consolidation of Europe and Europeans as a people was this assault against African people uh, 600 years ago in the process through which African people in Africa lost a better life to give a better life to Europe and European people. You know, African people in the Americas, but the United States most specifically, are the only people who did not come here in search of a better life, but because a better life is taken away from us. So when we understand the colonial process as something that seeks to uh, steal the life, labor, and value, or at least the ability for communities to produce life, labor, and value for themselves, and instead they produce life, labor, and value for the colonizing populations, then we understand the importance of reparations. We understand that reparations is something that, though it was called different things, it's something that Africans had always been uh, striving for. If I'm correct, the earliest of uh, pushes for what we now know as reparations happened even before uh, the end of former slavery in the 1850s. Uh, in which a lawsuit was successfully uh, given for some form of compensation to uh, formerly enslaved people. And then um, after that, 
Uh, we see the the different reparations clubs and things like that being crafted for African people to push for uh, compensation. I think very often uh, <clears throat> reparations is seen as a compensation for slavery in itself. And I think that's where we get into some of the limited views. When when the truth is that still sort of centers the slave master. Uh, I like to say that, you know, my partner is, her family is from Antigua and Barbuda partially, and also Jamaica. Some of the largest slaveholders and slave plantations in those areas were actually owned by white North Americans. So you're telling me that a person from Antigua and Barbuda who lives in here in the United States can't seek reparations within the United States. What they got to take a plane ticket down to the southern part of the Caribbean to fight for the reparations due to them from people here in the United States? No, right? Uh, the colonizing population, enslavement and then population of enslavers were united internationally. Uh, now we have to be united. Now just to fast forward, really the largest thrust in the in the middle of the 20th century was given to the reparations uh, through people like. Uh, Queen Mother Moore and her Univer Universal Association of Ethiopian Women, uh, as well as campaigns such as the We Charge Genocide campaign, uh, which suggested that it will raise the issue that what African people faced in the United States was genocide. Uh, and we also note that reparations have been given to other uh, oppressed populations within the United States, so it's not anything new. Last thing I'll say is the most important uh, event, I will say, uh, in our current reparations fight was a little bit over 40 years ago. You have the World Tribunal for Reparations to African People in the United States, organized by the African People's Socialist Party in Brooklyn, uh, New York, in November 1982. That event uh, had the express purpose of making <clears throat> reparations a household word. And the reason and the way in which they did this was uh, through creation of a mass organization called the African National Reparations Organization, which for the successing 12 years went around the United States and took reparations out there to the population. In 2001, members of, of, of the Hur movement who had started this went to Durban at the Durban Conference on the World Conference on Racism in September uh, 2001. Uh, and held subsequently another uh, reparations conference, uh, if I'm correct, the, the following year. So, so, so these things are all important because they were pushing reparations at a time in which people even called it a lunatic fringe. But it was very important because it pulled the reparations conversation away from simply being a legislative conversation or, 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 or a legal conversation to to, 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 to something that everyday African people uh, talked about and have demanded. We went on to discuss the history of reparations and actions we have personally taken to advocate for reparations. Thank you so much, Dr. Odom. I really appreciate you stating that, you know, revolutionary demand, reparation is a revolutionary demand and that, um, revolutionary demand is not just Black people demanding it, but we also have white people who are demanding reparation for Black people. So to really understand like the complexity that is just not all Black people talking about reparations. And Dr. Martin, I really appreciate that you brought up the Republic of New Africa because that, that was a very progressive organization wanting to create sovereignty within the U.S., right? And that is very important to know when we think of the politics and the way that we um, create these particular spaces um, and um, hold space um, within this colonial society. You know, the United Nations advocate for reparations, even have a definition, right? I know that Dr. Odom mentioned Queen Mother Moore, and um, I always like to say in 1957 with her organization, the United um, Ethiopian Association, she takes all, she goes there and she demands 500, I think it was like $200 billion of that of that, um, that amount of money, right? She demands this amount of money for reparations to the UN. So um, as 
Dr. Odom, as well as Dr. Moore has already expressed, this has been, this is a long conversation. You know, the fact that we are kind of in a heated debate right now, particularly in California, um, is, is very significant, but it's very important to understand that this is a conversation that has been happening. And I do just want to read that definition uh, for reparation from the UN. And it states that it refers to measures to redress violations of human rights by providing a range of material and symbolic benefits to victims or their families, as well as affected communities. Reparation must be adequate, effective, prompt, and should be proportional to the gravity of the violation and the harm suffered, right? And so again, it goes into the discussion of it's not just money, right? You know, it, it's, it's a whole system that has to be redressed when we think about how do we um, care for these people who have been traumatized and oppressed by um, this particular system. Just recently, um, in November of uh, this year, I put on a um, panel discussion, a webinar, if you will, talking about let's talk reparations, um, the necessity for um, reparations for the Black community locally, globally, and uh, globally, nationally, and, and internationally. <clears throat> and I brought together um, a couple of folks um, to be a part of that conversation. Um, and you talked about just, just briefly that California is really in the in a kind of, it's a, it's a very hot topic in California right now talking about reparations. Um, one, because of the uh, reparations task force that was brought to bear by uh, former Chula Vista Councilwoman, now Secretary of State of the State of California, um, Dr. Shirley Weber, also former former uh, faculty member in the Africana Studies Department at San Diego State University. Um, she brought um, to bear California Assembly Bill 3121, which started the task force for the study and development um, of reparation proposals, right, and for the state of California. Um, and so there's that. But then there's also um, in San Francisco, they have their own um, kind of um, San Francisco African-American Reparations Advisory Committee that was started um, last year as well, um, that they're also developing um, recommendations for reparations for um, those um, for African-Americans in San Francisco, right? Um, for all the different harms that they've inflicted from police brutality to, uh, you know, gentrification, right? So there's a, a, a wide um, array of things that people are feeling aggrieved about, particularly in San Francisco. And there's even, an, um, there's even a, a reconciliation, which I'm sure we'll get to talk to more about it. Um, there's like a healing and reconciliation commission for Native folks in the state of California as well. So California really is having a lot of these conversations on multiple multiple levels. But anyway, I digress. So um, the conversation um, I kind of brought together, brought together um, the chairperson of that San Francisco African-American Reparations Advisory Committee, um, Eric McDonald, um, uh, the District 10 Supervisor and President of the Board of Supervisors of San Francisco. So San Francisco's second in command behind uh, behind uh, the mayor, um, Shaman Walton, uh, was a part of that conversation. And Dr. Boatomo Masupie, who's an Associate Dean in um, the College of Social Sciences and Interdisciplinary Studies at uh, at uh, California State University, Sacramento, who's, who was an anti-apartheid activist, did a lot of work, um, and and thought through and and had conversations and some arguments against uh, the truth for and against the Truth and Reconciliation Commission that comes out of um, South African apartheid in 1996, following uh, the first democratic elections of, uh, in in South Africa's history. So I brought together all these people. We had a great conversation, fruitful conversation about all the happenings of reparations, and it actually closed out the last 15 minutes with the current current author of the bill. Um, HR 40, which is calling for the, 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 the National Commission for the Study of Reparations um, um, that was started in the late 80s by the late Senator Conyers from Detroit, Michigan. But um, currently that bill is being authored by um, Houston um, Congresswoman uh, Sheila Jackson Lee. And she got on for the last 15 minutes and gave a really kind of fiery orientation um, about what it would take uh, for HR 40 and why it's so important for HR 40 to be passed. Um, but it literally has been since the late 80s that that thing's been coming up um, and it has not been passed, hasn't gotten to the House yet, let alone the Senate. 
I've I've taught reparations um, at, when I was a postdoc um, at DePaul University. I taught a class called Reparations and Reconciliation, where I was thinking through um, the Truth and Reconciliation Commission in South Africa and how it might um, um, be a model or you know critique it in ways that we can think about reparations actually happening in in the United States. Um, I'm posting a similar class right now at at, at Sacramento State. Um, I did done radio interviews um, last week. I was with Cap Radio, which is NPR affiliate um, around uh, in the Sacramento area, um, talking about reparations, reparation task force. I've been interviewed several times by uh, CBS 13 um, and other kind of radio stations, particularly around uh, the California reparations task force and their findings and their first report and their second report that's due in July here. So. I've done several things in that regard, um, but again, looking to do a lot more um, around that. A few years ago, I was the international chair of a campaign called Africans Charge Genocide, really, which is the legacy of the We Charge Genocide campaign, um, uh, which um, uh, uh, allowed for, you know, actually we, we achieved as many as 130,000 signatures on our change.org, um, a signature calling for United States government to be charged with the crime of genocide against African people. Connected to that was something we have called the uh, African reparations claim or reparation certificate, um, uh, uh, which allowed for African people who then uh, and other African people to to say, okay, we charge genocide and we demand uh, reparations and we recognize the organization that I was that I'm a part of as uh, to, to to be the rightful representatives in that struggle. Uh, I'm uh, recently became the international chair of an organization called the International People's Democratic Ahur Movement, which is an international mass movement uh, to fight for the democratic rights of African people around the world. And one of those rights is the right to, to reparations. It's important to note that um, this organization that I chair is a successor organization to the African National Reparations Organization. So we've taken up that fight. Uh, but, and, and that certificate that we have that allowed for people to support reparations was actually signed by uh, Michael Jackson. So, so Michael Jackson in the 1980s actually signed one of these African National Reparations Organization certificates. And, and that we picked up that process uh, uh, in ourselves. This work has, has, has gotten our organization, you know, um, uh, in the scope of the U.S. government, you know, who at one time, at the same time says that they support reparations, um, uh, have tried to charge uh, our organization with just being tools of foreign or foreign people and, and it's Russians and other people who place this call for reparations in our in our heads, which is absolutely uh, it's a, a, absolutely foolish. But 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 it's important to bring that forward, especially as um, as as the demand for reparations goes further. As well, um, as a professor, you know, I bring the question of reparations into my class and have my students uh, really study reparations and then put together uh, the model for creating their own reparations organization. You know, for me, um, the work that I'm I'm doing, um, I want to shout out this panel because we are doing something when we're talking about it and sharing, you know, our knowledge, our experience and thoughts, right, um, at the National Council of Black Political Scientists. Um, so I've, um, I'm really big on cultural heritage initiatives. And so as Dr. Odom spoke, I um, did a podcast on Queen Mother Moore. And so I've been working with um, the Iberia African American Historical Society to preserve the legacy of Queen Mother Moore in New Iberia, where she was born. And um, as already mentioned, Queen Mother Moore is one of the founders of the reparation movement. And so for me, it's very important that we preserve the, na the narrative of, of Black women who are uh, making these particular efforts um, in a very transnational um way. And so last summer, we did a, a, a program called Queen Mother Moore Legacy Symposium and Celebration, in which we had um, key scholars who have done research on Queen Mother Moore, like uh, Dr. Ashley Farmer, who's working on an extensive biography of her, um, Dr. Ankiyele Umoja, who was actually one of Queen Mother Moore's um, mentee, and Dr. Um, Cassie Turnipsey, who works on 
cultural heritage initiatives in the South. Talk about the, the importance of preserving her, um, her legacy. This summer, we will be doing a marker, right? And so um, reparations for me is also about remembering, like remembering um, who the people are and making sure uh, we say their name. Um, I also do programming. And so um, I had the opportunity to invite with um, uh, Dr. Odom, um, as well as other California-based scholar, activists, and politicians to the San Francisco, San Francisco Public Library. So I work with the African-American Center um, at the San Francisco Public Library. Um, it was a joint program with the library and the Africana Studies um, Department at San Francisco State University to do a discussion on reparation. And again, our goal was to provide this broad discussion because sometimes people, as, as you all mentioned, people may think that reparation is only money, right? Or it's only centered in um, the US, but I really wanted us to see the various discussions and perspectives um, to um, critically think about reparations. So I had Dr. Odom there. I had um, um, Bakari Alatunje, who is the West Regional Representative for the Uhuru Movement and um, the Vice Chair of Uhuru Foods and Pies in Oakland. Um, there was Brittany Chiquata, who's the Director of the Economic Rights and the San Francisco Human Rights Commission, which is also um, a key um, figure in the San Francisco draft for reparation. Um, and we had Reverend Arnold Thompson, who is a leading advocate for the preservation of Black communities in San Francisco, um, and Ross Nganga, who is an um, African-centered mental health advocate, right, who talked about reparations from the, 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 the point of, of your mind and, and the trauma that occurs. And um, so that was a really great way. I, I really believe that you have to bring these conversations to the public as you, um, Dr. Martin, as well as Dr. Odom has um, have spoken about. Um, I've also had the opportunity to write about it in my last article, um, A Journey of a Black Woman's Archivist, Phyllis Dandala, Margaret Walker, and Queen Mother Moore, um, where I talk about Queen Mother Moore as being uh, a part of a cohort of Black women who are um, really fighting for um, um, freedom and fighting for equality um, um, for Black people. And I, I wrote um, kind of like a, I guess you could say an op-ed <laughs> for a newspaper in Lafayette called Queen Mother Moore's Race of Solidarity when reconciliation was not enough. So, you know, they asked me to write something about racial reconciliation. And I'm like, what? <laughs> you know, I can't, I can't necessarily talk about that per se, but what I can talk about is efforts of, of racial solidarity. And, you know, um, I talked about reconciliation in the sense of what New Iberia is doing as a, a biracial city to try to honor um, such a political radical figure like Queen Mother Moore. And also, like both of you all said, um, I teach it. I teach it in my class, um, Introduction to African-American History, as well as Black Lives Matter. And matter of fact, my students, you know, I make them come <laughs> to see, you know, um, Professor Odom um, and all the others speak about reparations because it's different, right, to read about it. <laughs> but when you actually see it in real time, I believe it can kind of click differently. So um, those are some of the things um, that I've done on my um, on my journey of advocacy. And I'm still growing and I'm still learning. You are listening to Black Power Talks, produced by WBPU, Black Power 96.3 FM in St. Petersburg, Florida. In today's episode, we explore current conversations on reparations amongst African internationalist educators. This conversation is part of our continued observation of the 40th anniversary of the 1982 World Tribunal for Reparations to African People. Dr. Matamela, Dr. Caesar, and Dr. Boston went on to discuss reparations as a response to what Queen Mother Moore called oppression psychoneurosis, brought on by centuries of slavery and colonialism. Well, you know, um, uh, one uh, debate that exists, uh, not just in, uh, you know, social sciences and things like that, or the political world more broadly, but even in the African community is what's the relationship between consciousness and lived experience, right? 
The reason I said it is because so many people just, you know, PSI, positive self-identity, representation, and things like this, you know, if you know better, you do better type deal is, is you know, which really is a contradictory because it's really a sort of Cartesian philosophy in which people uh, believe that, you know, uh, uh, that, you know, the mind over matter, you know, uh, I think it was Rene Descartes who says, you know, I think therefore I am. Um, uh, but, you know, we see political activists all the way to, to, to poet and scholar activists such as Audre Lorde, who challenges that and says, no, right, it's the feeling, it's the condition which inform um, uh, 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 our existence. So I feel, therefore, you know, I can do and stuff like that is important. The reason why I say that is because, you know, when you got to decide this question of racial trauma and stuff like that, um, uh, uh, and what can reparations do about racial trauma, first we have to uh, underscore the fact that um, you know, racial trauma itself isn't just something that exists within within our minds, but it's the result of um, uh, uh, the conditions of, of of being colonized, being enslaved, being uh, uh, forcefully alienated uh, from from our homeland, uh, and 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 the fact that a better way of life was taken away from us. So uh, at the end of the day. Um, you know, Africans can't overturn the trauma that we have without overturning the conditions on which African people live. Because I mean, anything short of that is is really the definition of mental illness and insanity. I mean, and stuff like that. So, so, so reparations uh, as as a material response to the oppression of African people is absolutely central to overturning uh, uh, that trauma. I, I absolutely love that answer, and it really makes me think of the original um, or, or how you started, how you prefaced us, Dr. Caesar, when you were talking about uh, the UN's definition. And those two terms that, that I just can't get out of my mind since you read that. And it was one, timely, <laughs> which, is, uh, which is funny, right? And then second, um, and this really kind of profound, is proportionate, right? It, it had the word proportionate in that definition. That's what reparation would look like, proportionate. Now, how do we, what is the proportion of theft of a people, severance from their past, present, and future um, with part of sexual, secular ventrum and the child followed the mother in the ways of slavery, of, of title, of, of, of those kind of things. So not only did you not have access to your past and where you came from. You did not own yourself, so you didn't have your present and you did not even, couldn't even own or have any idea of where your future is. What is proportional for that for 250 years, right? And generations of that kind of trauma, right? What is proportional for another, you know, 150 of legal or 100 years of legalized Jim Crow and, and another 50 to 100 years of just, you know, of that kind of trauma? What is proportionate to what uh, Du Bois called double consciousness or Kimberly Crenshaw cause, you know, um, intersectionality and the kinds of intersectional oppressions that folks feel from different modes of being or collective consciousness. For no, like there's so many ways in which people have come to this question of what is happening with our people? How are we not only literally feeling, but as Dr. Um, Odom said, like how, how has these structures and systems produced our lived experience, right? And the ways in which we actually are able to live our lives. So yes, there's a wealth gap. And if you give me my money, that wealth gap can be closed, but that does not change all the other, this, the proportions of what the trauma actually actually is, is so, is so astronomical that some people use that as a way of, okay, so we can't do it at all, right? And that's not the answer either. Because um, repair is action, right? And, it, and and that's the other thing about reparations. So, pe so many people think of it as a one-time payout or just an instant, like it's a moment, right? Once reparations here and the transaction is transactionary, it's done, right? Instead of colonialism as a maintained system, right? People have to start thinking of reparations as a proportionate. You have, you have to start thinking of reparations as a maintained system. It must take at least the amount of time 
in which the injury took to occur. So minimum of 400 years of reparation, right? Um, in all these different aspects. So I, I, that's why I, uh, when you read that definition, it was just so fascinating and, and, and so important to me because timely, we're talking about 400 years later <laughs> and you, and uh, at least, right? And that's, that's at least. And then you're talking about proportionate. And when you think about how big that proportion is, not just the financial toll, not just the 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 the, the, the stolen labor or property or redlining or mental health or, you know, or, or uh, inability to access higher education or social services, so on and so forth. The, the, that's there's that. But then just the, you know, so I think that 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 UN definition was really, really important for, for this question. Uh, thank you so much, Dr. Martin. And I really appreciate this infant this emphasis on what is proportional, right? Because I don't think that people understand the gravity, you know, of the centuries of oppression. And so if it's centuries of oppression, then, you know, um, whatever is given to the Black population, it should be proportional. And Dr. Odom, I really like you said that race, racial trauma is the result of, right? It didn't just, you know, come, come up come out of thin air, right? It's the result of this ongoing oppression, discrimination, and violence, right, that that African-descended people had um, went through, continue to go through. Um, for me, I want to talk about Queen Mother Moore and um, her uh, theory that she created. Because many people don't know that, you know, she was, uh, she was a theorist, right, as well as um, a political... Um, figure. Um, so she theorized about the condition of Black people um, politically as well as psychologically. And she she talked about this ideal called, um, um, or the term called psychosis neurosis. And she said psychosis is a condition that led Blacks to act against their interests and engender fidelity to their oppressors. It's a form of denaturalization, othering, and acting outside of oneself. Queen Mother Moore described it as a tame lying in a circus. So this idea, this particular ideal of the centuries of oppression, it impacts the way people identify, right? And when it impacts the way you identify with yourself, it causes this internal turmoil that makes you do things that are not advantageous for your survival. And Dr. Joy DeGru talks about the post-traumatic slave syndrome. And that's a way in which African-Americans adapted, right, um, to the, the, the centuries of oppressions. And she said that um, it's a transgenerational adaptation, transgener transgenerational, which goes into this idea of like what is proportional and the result of, right, transgenerational adaptation associated with the past traumas of slavery and ongoing oppression. She says it's in our DNA. Okay, so how do you fix that, right? Um, and it's triggered by laws and policies that enforces people of color overtly and covertly. Reparation is not just about money as we discussed, um, it is providing resources in general and assisting Black people with tools they need to live in America. And then when we think of particularly of San Francisco, when you read the San Francisco reparation draft, they don't just talk about the $5 million lump sum that's given, getting the most publicity, but they also talk about affordable housing and ownership, elevation and support of Black businesses, educational support and incentives closing the gap between health disparities, as well as addressing the historical um, and existing state policies that have disproportionately, right, harmed San Francisco African-American communities. So thinking about it on a, a, a broader term, when we, when we think of racial, um, racial, racial trauma and healing, it kind of goes back to this thing of, you know, like, you know, what is proportional? Like, how do you do this and why? And to understand the the um, extent of the results of, you know, colonialism. Then we answer the question, can reparations truly be a part of integration in this land of democracy? Thinking of how our efforts to create sovereignty or liberated spaces have been constantly attacked or destroyed, i.e. the Tulsa race riot, the move bombing, the end of Reconstruction, Donald Trump's presidency, 
and critical race theory challenges, to name a few. Dr. Martin, you kind of spoke about it. You know, you, you, you spoke about like the um, Republic of New Africa, right, who was trying to create sovereignty within the U.S. So do you mind like speaking? What are your thoughts? Can this actually happen in the U.S. of A.? I would love to talk about this, but I promise you, I think we're going to get the, the, the good start from Brother Odom. So I, I okay. would like, if it's not if it's not too much, I would like uh, with, with, with Dr. Odom. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I appreciate this question. I think there's a couple of things that stand out. First off, the question of integration, the question of, of democracy uh, as well, and sovereignty uh, within the United States. Um, you know, I think the central question I mean, I, I think that uh, the RNA, as they were created in 1968, represented an important thrust forward in our move towards independence, especially with the fact that uh, they came out of a group of people who had direct connections with Malcolm X, organizing with Malcolm uh, with his message to the grassroots conference and, and, and other things like that. So, so, you know, with the assassination of Malcolm and things like that, um, they represented uh, an important um, a legacy of that work, as well as going back towards Garvey. Um, I, I do think, however, though, that um, there are s some important limits in, in imagining freedom for Black people uh, bound within a series of states in the United States that were stolen from Indigenous people, uh, regardless of you know, and I and you know, I I know that you know it's it's something that has been latched upon. I think that really their ideas of New Africanism is sort of the outgrowth of a 1928 um, Black Belt thesis put forward by the International Communist Party and stuff like that. But but I do think that um, you know, true freedom for African people will be when when Africa is free. Uh, but I do think that. Um, African people outside of Africa should be fighting for what we understand as uh, liberated territory or even uh, what uh, the Soviets or the USSR understood as Soviets, which are sort of Soviets themselves aren't independent states, but they are workers' councils, um, uh, which work towards the creation of this international um, uh, united state of or nation of workers and stuff like that. So I think that Africans in North America for sure sh should be fighting, uh, but as a American front of the international African struggle, you know, uh, the ideology that I bring forward is one of African internationalism, where I don't think that slavery or something like that created us as a new group of people, but instead, um, but but you talk about this question of democracy, right? This is a place of democracy, but what we're really engaged in is the struggle over the meaning of democracy. So in many ways, African liberation is a struggle for democracy against democracy, right? And and um, uh, and 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 what we have is a colonial democracy. What we have is to understand that in 1965 they assassinated Malcolm X, and then they passed the Voting Rights Act which then says that, and then three years later, they assassinated Martin Luther King. And so basically uh, you get to vote, but not in your own interest. Um, and, and, and that, is, that is, is a concern. So what I would also lastly say is, is that um, there is a struggle, right? Uh, some people will use reparations in their quest for integration, but uh, there's a document called the Tactics and Strategies Pamphlet of Sorts uh, you can, it has a longer name, but it's written by Omalia Shatella in 1977. It was presented at uh, Amherst University uh, Black Organizers Conference where people like uh, uh, Max Stanford, also known as Ahmed, Mohammed, um, uh, uh, um, um, uh, Ella Baker was there. Robert Williams, also uh, Republican New Africa, was there. And stuff like that. At the and and in this, uh, Omalay Shatella outlines what he calls he defines integrationism as anti-independence, right? Uh, and 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 this is important because too all too often, you know, when too, when the United States uh, broke away from England, they called that independence. But when African people break away from the colonial system, they call it separ separatism. 
but it's not separatism, right? It's it's about sort of uh, finding an independence for African people and eventually creating a new way through which people around the world can relate to each other. Now, the contradiction we have now is some people want repair for slavery to be just another way to invite African people into uh, the world as it exists right now. That's what happened in South Africa, right? Essentially a neo-colonial uh, uh, repair to the crimes of the past. I think the struggle now is for us to define what democracy looks like for ourselves. Uh, and, and we, my organization, we say self-determination is the highest form of true democracy and then use the reparation struggle for us to aim in that, in that way as, as a form of self-determination for our own people. Yeah, so I'll just briefly add, um, because I wholeheartedly agree with um, what Dr. Odom says. Um, but when I think about, is this possible, right? Um, is reparations possible? Um, well, I think, <laughs> like Dr. Odom said earlier, he said, uh, thinking about 2008 and the bailouts, yes, um, <laughs> the money's there, it's possible, right? Uh, I heard um, Shirley Weber say um, that, oh no, California has the fourth, highest um, economy in the world, not like, I'm talking about world, like countries, right? <laughs> like California itself has the fourth highest economy in the world. So absolutely, right? Can, can the California task force make reparations happen for black people in California, which is like 13% of California? Absolutely, 100%. They can pay them with their own. Um, it can absolutely happen. You think about how much money we spend on um, war, right? On the war machine, absolutely, we can we can spend that money, and, and so the money part, absolutely, it can be done. Um, the the larger questions of you know what I say, continual repair. We talking about um, proportionate, you know, four hundred years of continually to struggle against <laughs> um, a colonial history. Um, it, it would be much more of a consciousness raising thing that I think would be be more challenging, not impossible, but but more challenging nonetheless. Uh, final thing I would say, because you brought up TRC and uh, truth and reconciliation, um, the the the, pro the the overall issues with truth and reconciliation is that they did a great job, kind of memorializing, remembering all those things are important for healing, right, for transition, but they did not get to the reconciliation part, right? There was no wealth um redistribution De Beers still owns all the all the uh, all the all the um diamonds right um they didn't you know take over industry and get those things back uh to the native people so there's ways in which you can think of truth and reconciliation as a model for some for some forms of things that we want to see but there's also um very hard critiques that the born free generation for instance has been very critical of the, the truth and reconciliation commission since because they that's why fees must fall happens in 2015 right why is there a larger wealth gap between um individuals in south africa than there was when the national party was um in power right so there's all these questions that are going on but that was just the one thing i was thinking about is if it if it could be implemented absolutely Thank you so much. And I, I just want to agree with both you and Dr. Odom as um, on these particular ideas. For me, I'm not very optimistic, right? I, I'm not going to lie. Um, right here in, in California, Black students score the lowest on state you know, state tests, and they are not given resources because the ban on affirmative action, right? That That's supposed to provide, you know, um, that, that was created to provide these additional resources for um, schools of color. And so it's kind of like, you know, it makes me think of like the re reconstruction period in which, you know, Black people are given this advancement and it's taken away, you know. Um, I hope, right, I, I hope something comes out of it. But the way that I see things historically, I just don't know. So thank you so much, um, Dr. Odom and Dr. Martin, for further expressing this complexity, um, this, the relationship, um, and really critically thinking about what is democracy and democracy for who. Amongst other topics, the panel concluded by discussing the importance of reparations internationally. You know, for me, that's the importance of centering the colonial question. Because when you center the question of colonialism, and even what we face still 
reviving in my own work a form of understanding that what African people face here in the United States is still a form of domestic colonialism that did not die with the overthrow of the Black Power movement. Then we can understand what needs to be done. Uh, first off, you know when you you got to center Black people and all of our experiences in whatever were meaningful reforms are trying to be put in place. Because if not, then the reforms will be just used against us. I know that one person referred to this as embedded racism and stuff. I think Omi and Wanat and others refer to this as, as embedded racism. I think it's deeper than that, but I do think that that the idea that, look, you know, um, uh, the colonial policy can take place, even or some people might call it racism without racism, uh, to me, that's colonialism, right? Let's let's us know that you don't need bigoted people uh, at the top. You don't need a bull Connor uh, for the um, uh, because what we're talking about is we're talking about shared relations of production. You can have a new social system put in place, and African people still share the same relations to production and society and power in society that they had in the earlier form of that social system. You have been listening to Black Power Talks, produced by WBPU, Black Power 96.3 FM in St. Petersburg, Florida. Today, we explored current conversations on reparations by African internationalist educators. This conversation was part of continued observation of the 40th anniversary of the 1982 World Tribunal of Reparations to African People. We heard from Dr. Tiffany Caesar of San Francisco State University and Dr. Martin Boston of Sacramento State University in a panel discussion with Dr. Matsumela. Their recent publication, The Movement Resonated Deep in My Soul, New Perspectives and Pathways to International Research of South African Social Movements, Past and Present, a third world thematic special edition can be found at the Taylor and Francis website, tndfonline.com. We would like to thank everyone who keeps this show going. Our theme song, Get Up and Do Something, was written and produced by Elika Ngoma. Special thanks to the Black Power Talks production, research, and promotions team, as well as all of you out there for continuing to listen and support. You can pray until you faint, but if you don't get up and try to do something, God is not going to put it in your lap. And it's no need of running and no need of saying, honey, I'm not going to get in the mess. Do something! Do-